than an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Well, good morning, everyone. I feel like we just lost half the church to Children's Church. That's awesome. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 31 through 36 this morning. This is the conclusion of our, our study in the third chapter of John. In fact, this really serves as a commentary or a summary of everything that we've looked at uh, so far in chapter 3. I think you'll see some familiar uh, teachings, some familiar ideas, and, and even statements presented as we get into the, the text this morning. Honestly, I, I, I think this serves as almost like our author John, the disciple John, his commentary, his personal commentary on everything that he has recorded. You know, you go back to the beginning of chapter 3, and the bulk of it is this dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisee Nicodemus. And we, we, we discussed that at great length where we saw that Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And we saw Nicodemus's struggle with that, and what does that mean for him? And then last week, Blake presented John the Baptist as John the Baptist had risen to popularity and ministry and yet he fades into the background, allowing Christ to take precedence and to take all the glory that he deserved. I hope that this study has been a blessing to you so far. I heard this week that uh, from, from some in the church that, that this study of John has really been encouraging, has been very helpful, and that's our prayer. And that's why we go through the whole book. That's why we go verse by verse so that you can see everything in its context and that you grow in richness. In this case, that you can see Christ for all that he is because that's why John writes. I hope it's either been convicting or encouraging, possibly both. I'll tell you, this week has been pretty rough. Uh, I appreciate a lot of people checking in on me uh, with everything, with my family and everything in Baton Rouge. Uh, I know Josh Blunt also has family that's had to evacuate. And Oh, man, Wednesday, uh, you know, some of the guys know, and my community group guys know, but I got a phone call for, at work. Uh, my, my brother, who lives in Baton Rouge, had to bring my mom to the hospital who was having heart difficulty. Uh, has tightness in her chest and pain on her left side. Uh, feel like the doctors have that in check for now. She got to, she stayed overnight, got to go home, and then Friday the rains came. And so it has just been, you know, you kind of feel, I know Josh probably feels the same way, but we feel helpless. We really can't do anything. Um, just keeping communication, trying to keep up with everybody. Uh, you know, seeing so many of my close childhood friends, uh, houses that I grew up in, uh, 
churches that, that I grew up in, just seeing the, the amount of loss and trauma. I mean, so many of my friends yesterday stuck in attic spaces, some of them cutting out the roof so they could get on top of the roof, waiting, not knowing whether or not someone was going to be able to come rescue them. Uh, people were waiting on trucks, just hoping that a boat would come by. You know, a lot of that stuff, that the trauma that's been experienced, it's heartbreaking. And so this week, I am grateful that the providence of God has brought us to this passage where we are this week, where we get to be reminded about the supremacy of Christ and how glorious He is. And so my prayer is that this week we would be able to turn our attention away from the, the hopelessness and the darkness. There are Look, for our, any of you who have family and friends in Baton Rouge, they've got a long road ahead of them. But Christ is over all things. And that's what I want us to see this morning. That is why John wrote this. As a reminder, that's the essence of his entire gospel. In John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, I hope you can quote it by now. But John wrote the things that he did so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing that, we would have eternal life. This entire gospel is written in a fashion that is Christ-exalting. Now, when I say Christ-exalting, I'm not saying that our author, John, is taking Christ from the position that he's in and lifting him up. Because Christ is already supreme. He is already over all things. He does not have to lift him up. He's writing his things so that we would lift our eyes and see where he stands. And that we would see that he is supreme. We'll see that this morning in our passage. We'll see Christ's supremacy in three different ways. So if you want to walk away from here, remember three things. Christ is above all. Christ has been given all. And Christ delivers all. He is above all, been given all, and delivers all. So first, let's take a look at His supremacy revealed in the fact that He is above all things. And I hope this is refreshing for you this morning. John chapter 3, verses 31 through 32. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Now just briefly, I want to point out some of your translations have quotes there. If you have, if you're looking in the uh, New Living Translation or the New American Standard, you may have some quotation marks here. That would imply that the editor thinks this is John the Baptist continuing his, his dialogue, continuing saying the things that he was saying that we studied last week. But others of you don't have quotes. The ESV, the New King James or King James, the New International Version, if you, look, if you have that translation, you probably don't see quotation marks. That's, it's up to the editors to make a decision who is really saying this. Because in the original source documents, that those punctuation marks didn't exist. And so they're trying to use context to say, okay, is this John the Baptist or is this John? Personally, I feel like this is our, our author John, the disciple, not John the Baptist. I say that because he says some of the things that remind me of the discussion that John, Jesus had with Nicodemus. 
And John the Baptist wasn't present for that discussion. But John the Baptist was the greatest man that ever walked the earth. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. So it's possible that he just knows to say the things that Jesus has already said. That's possible too. Either way, it doesn't, verse 31, regardless of who said it, if that doesn't get the point across about the supremacy of Christ, I don't know what else will. He bookends that verse with this statement, and it's the same statement both sides. He who comes from above is above all. He is above all things. This should remind us of words that we've already seen in John 3 when we talk about him coming from heaven. In John 3, 13, Jesus talking to Nicodemus said, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven the Son of Man. If you remember, Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus that if Nicodemus didn't comprehend what he was saying, what Jesus was saying, then how else was he going to believe? Because we have God in the flesh who's come from heaven and he's testifying to the things that he knows. If you can't understand those words, how are you going to understand a rabbi? He's come from heaven. Or you might recall John 3, 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Or you might go all the way back to John chapter 1, where we learn that Christ existed eternally with the Father, that he was with God and he was God. And then we go down a little bit further in chapter 1 and we see that he took on flesh and dwelt among us. We have God in the flesh come to earth. He says the same thing at the end of 31. He says, he who comes from heaven is above all. He is supreme. This is not a foreign idea in Scripture. A lot of Scripture is going to point to the supremacy of Christ over everyone and everything else. Colossians 1.15, He is the firstborn of all creation. Romans 11.36, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever and ever. Colossians 1.17, He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. The author of Hebrews wrote that He was superior to angels, and that he's greater than Moses. He's approaching his audience. Moses was the pinnacle. And the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is greater than him. He is supreme. And here, our author John writes that he is above all. I love the way that John was led to put this statement because here in verse 31, not only do we see the supremacy of Christ, but we get to see the humility of Christ at the same time right? He is above all things. He who is above all has come. He left his eternal glory and he came into our mess. He descended. He came from heaven. He entered our world. He he did so that so we might be restored and reconciled if we believe in him. The supremacy of Christ is good news for us because we have God in the flesh who is above all things humiliating himself on the cross on our behalf. He is supreme, but he is also humble. And that is expressed in his gospel. 
in Him we find the never-ending glorious grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, if you will recall. And we do not find condemnation. In Him we see the fullness of His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. He is above all things. And yet, out of obedience to His Father, He humbled Himself to become the servant below all things. There is no one like Him. And He is worthy of our faith. When we have tough days, let's cling to that Christ. When floodwaters continue to rise, He's above that. Because He's above all things. When your home is destroyed and everything that you, you hold to materially in this world is gone, He's still your greatest treasure. And no one can take that away. Maybe on the flip side of that, when, when things are going really well, maybe you accomplish something great. Let's remember that Christ has accomplished something far greater. Something that you couldn't even do. And He did it for you. John wants us to see Christ in all of His glory. He is supreme. He is above all. By the way, right in the middle of those two statements in verse 31, it's like a, like a sandwich, right? You've got, He is above all things. Those of us who are of the earth, He is above all things. Right in the middle of that, He says, He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. That's us, right? When we come into this world, we are considered of the earth. And we belong to the earth. And it takes that supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that we discussed when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus to, to move unpredictably like the wind upon our hearts so that we might be given new life. And in that, we gain a heavenly citizenship. We're no longer of the earth, but we're in the family of God. This is not our home. I say that. There will be a new heavens and new earth. But this, the way we see it right now, is not our home. We have a different citizenship now. Unlike people of the earth who speak in an earthly way, Jesus comes from heaven. And as verse 32 says, He bears witness to what He has seen and to what He has heard. Again, this should draw our minds back to John chapter 3, verse 11. When Jesus told Nicodemus the exact same thing, we testify to what we have seen and heard. And then He says the same thing here that John says, and yet you do not receive our testimony. John says, no one receives his testimony. Now that no one is not all-inclusive. Obviously, we know, we can attest, for those of us who are in the faith, some of us have received it. And he talks about that in verse 33, where he highlights the next point. He moves from Christ being above all to Christ being given all. Starting in verse 33 through 35. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Now this is a very interesting statement that John makes about the truthfulness of God. 
He says, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this. God is true. That is because God promised that he would send his son. God promised a Messiah. Christ is the fulfillment of prophecy. When one receives the testimony of Christ that he is God come in the flesh, they are declaring, or as John puts it here, setting their seals to the fact that God is true. In contrast, when one rejects the testimony of Christ, they call God a liar. I think this is interesting, especially in our day where so many feel that they can decide for themselves what is true and not true. That here, one, this leaves no room for someone to say, I believe in God, but I don't trust the gospel of Christ. I believe in God, but I don't really believe that Jesus Christ was all that the Christians say that he is. There's no room for that. Because God promised that his son would come and that he would deliver people, that he would be the Messiah. You can't say, I want that to be true, but I don't believe all this other stuff. The identity and the supremacy of Christ are essential beliefs for us to hold to as Christians. We have to hold on to that. Even more so in our day of postmodern thinking. Now, can you hand me that book? I always like to uh, give you a resource. Natalie really wanted to stand by me today, so I was trying to get her. Um, I always try to give you resources. So I know all of you went home, right? And you all let, read D.A. Carson's book, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. Short book, 90 pages. Melissa, I'm, I'm ready for you to give it back because I know you finished it. Um, this is another good resource, specifically about the issue we're talking about today, the supremacy of Christ in a postmodern world. It's edited by John Piper and Justin Taylor. It's a bunch of different people who, who touch on this d- discussion. Our world... Our society is becoming more and more falling prey to this way of thinking where I can decide what is true for myself, even though it may not be true for someone else. I can decide what gender I am. I get to choose that. And that is a battle. We, look, Blake, I love how Blake put this, and I've heard several other of you say the same thing. Blake has made the point, we are no longer the majority voice. Christians, the church, we are no longer the majority voice in our country. And we have a lot of, we have a lot of young people here. Prepare yourselves. You've got to be firm in your understanding of the gospel. Because Satan is attacking it from every direction. I go back to Nehemiah, right? When we were studying Nehemiah and we saw that attacks were coming from every direction possible. And Nehemiah had to be faithful, trusting that God would reign supreme, that he would deliver them. The same is true for the church today. Christ is supreme. He is over all things. And when you believe his testimony... You are setting your seal to this fact. God is true. And that's where my trust lies. Verse 34 goes on to explain why receiving Christ's testimony to himself is declaring God's truthfulness. Christ has been sent by God and he utters the words of God. 
So everything that Christ says comes from his Father. He is God. So the words he speaks are God's words. His words are truth. Not only that, but the Father gives the Spirit to his Son. And he does so without measure. That is profound. Here we have a a Trinitarian statement. The Father gives his Son the Spirit, and he does so without measure. Now, how does that present Christ as supreme? Turn to Ephesians 4. Hold your place in your Bibles. Just flip there really quick. If you were here with us when we studied Ephesians, you might recall the structure of this letter where the first half, the first three chapters, Paul is presenting the gospel. Second half, he's saying, hey, in light of that gospel, this then is how you should live. And where we are in chapter 4, he's beginning this exhortation, and he starts with a discussion on unity within the body. And if you, you were here, you might recall that we, we discussed this as unity can be found in diversity. And that's where this is. But in light of our study today, pay attention to the measure in which we receive the Spirit. And how does that compare to the measure in which Christ is given the Spirit? John, uh, Ephesians 4, I'm going to go verses 1 through 7, and then I'm going to pick up in 11 through 12. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And you're going to see a bunch of ones, right? A bunch of unity statements. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. According to the measure of Christ's gift, Go to verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And when we studied that, we really put a lot of emphasis on the fact that, look, each one of us are given different spiritual gifts. Remember, I talked about the paintbrush. Natalie thought that was really lame. I heard from some of you that you really liked it. The paintbrush, where he dipped, some, he dipped his brush in a little bit of encouragement and a little bit of wisdom and discernment. And when then he painted that on the canvas, and that was Trent Whitley. But then he took a little bit of teaching and a little bit of service, and he painted that and said, Blake Foreman. But that we each have different roles to play within the church, that we've been given the Spirit according to the measure that Christ has decided for his body. It's limited. And we need one another, right? We, talk, we put a lot of emphasis on that. We need each other to function within the body as we were designed because we don't have the Spirit without measure. In contrast, Jesus Christ, the Son, is given the Spirit without measure. It's immeasurable. Always having access to do the things that He does. The Spirit is there with Him in totality. Just a side note, the reason 
the father gives the spirit to his son. If you continue here, it says the father loves his son. He loves his son. Thinking through this passage this week, this struck me as yet another simple but profound statement that John makes. The father loves the son. That's that's easy to understand, right? You get that. But then you start really thinking about what does that mean? I'm going to be honest, one of the questions I had while studying the, that passage in John 3.16, when I read that for God so loved the world that he gave his son, one of the questions that I had that I had written down on my notes was in reference to what kind of love the father had for the son. I mean, if you read that on surface level, it could appear that the father loves the world, loves, and you remember the world is evil, wretched man, that he decided, I love, for God so loved the world that I'm giving my son. I'm exchanging the son for the, the world that I love so much. What kind of love? I mean, you understand, people struggle with that. The fact that a father would be so sadistic to sacrifice his son. But when you see it in light of the entire context of chapter 3, we get to this passage of the supremacy of Christ and how he is above all things, and that the Father loves him. Think about how much God loves you then. Now go back to John 3.16, when it says, for God so, loves the, so loved the world, and you're part of that, right? You're part of that evil. Remember, we talked about how that's not quanti- quantity, that's quality. That's the evil that God loved. That he so loved evil man that he gave his son the son in whom he finds great pleasure, great delight, the son in whom he loves dearly and has, has spent eternity with, that's how much he loves his son, and yet he sacrificed his son so that he might make many sons and daughters. It isn't that he loves us more. He doesn't. But his love for us is deep. He cares about you. So much so that the son that he loves dearly, he's willing to give up for a time so that he might have you too. But still, Christ is supreme. Not only does the Father give his son the Spirit, but John wrote that he has given him all things. The Father has created all things and given them to his Son. This whole plan of redemption was established before the foundation of the world. This whole thing was an expression of the love that the Father has for His Son. And He says, Son, here it is. It's good. Now it's ruined. Go redeem it for yourself. It's yours. Christ is supreme because He is above all. He has been given all. And he delivers all. In verse 36, John wrote, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, when I say that Christ delivers all, on, in my manuscript, I've got dot, dot, dot. Because there's more to that. Christ does not deliver every single person. That is conditional. 
We see that in verse 36. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not, the wrath of God remains on them. They are not delivered. He does deliver all, but He delivers all that believe in Him. And He delivers them from the wrath of God. And we've spent a lot of time talking about our natural state when we come into the world and the fact that we needed the Holy Spirit to grant us new spiritual life because we were dead, spiritually dead in our trespasses and sin. And that we couldn't, it's not like dead people don't believe things. Dead people don't do anything. Yes, you're physically alive, but spiritually there's nothing there. There's no heartbeat. There's no pulse. You need the Spirit to grant you that ability, that new life that's required. And He delivers those of us who believe. What are the implications for us? I would ask this question. Is Christ supreme in your life? Now that's a vague statement, so I want to break it down a little bit. And I want you to flesh this out this week. Is Christ supreme? Examine your behavior. Does your behavior reflect that you view Christ as supreme? Look at your actions. What does that say about how you view Christ? Because what we do, I mean, at the heart of sin is where we exalt ourselves above Him. And so if you look at your actions, identify those areas in which you're saying, I'm choosing myself this time. I'm going to do this for myself. I'm supreme in this area of life. Examine your thoughts. Do you find yourself thinking about how you might serve Christ or about how you might serve yourself? Where do your thoughts go? Are they Christ-glorifying? Are they Christ-exalting? Or are they self-glorifying and self-exalting? Let's, let's examine our speech. I mean, we know out of the abundance of our hearts do our mouths speak. What, does our, what do our words say? about what we really believe about Christ. Examine our relationships. I mean, when you, when you think about Christ, right? We talked about how He's supreme, but he, he humiliated Himself. I mean, you have the highest of highs humbling Himself to the form of a servant so that He might restore a relationship that was broken. What does that look like for us? Because here, Christ didn't do anything to break that relationship, but he engaged that brokenness so that he might restore it. And if we have broken relationships, many times we played a part in that. Now, I recognize that it's not all the time. That sometimes somebody else did something to us, and that's what broke the relationship. But let's think about it. If we are to reveal Christ in every area of our lives, we exist to make much of God 
in our neighborhoods and to the nations by reflecting Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm coming in and I'm going to restore that. I'm going to seek reconciliation. Do our relationships communicate that we hold Christ as supreme in our lives? Or are we trying to restore, hold on to that pride that we have in broken relationships? And let's examine our greatest treasures. That's an easy, easy one for me to think about this week. What do we value most? I was very encouraged because the church I grew up in uh, for, for a while was not very healthy leadership. And yesterday, I, I, I haven't even met the guy, but he's their youth pastor. He's been there for a little over a couple years, I guess about right when I left, um, right, right when we left from Baton Rouge. And so many of my students went to him for discipleship afterwards. And that, I was like, I don't know this guy, but everything I hear about him is cool. This guy getting ready to walk out of his house for possibly the last time gets on Facebook and preaches the gospel. And he shared how in the last hour he had to realize and think about, consider what is most important. All these pictures, family furniture that's been passed down, jewelry, guns, all this stuff, you have to consider, do I hold that as most valuable? Or do I leave that knowing that Christ still reigns, that He is still supreme, and He is my greatest treasure? We were very fortunate to not have to go through that last night and today. All day, I mean, all week I'm watching this, and it's like, the storm is just missing sulfur, right? And then last night, look, we got some rain. But it didn't rain over 30 inches in a matter of 36 hours. And we aren't surrounded by floodwaters from the overflowing rivers right now. But I would ask, if we were, where would you be right now? What do you treasure most? Your bank account? That can go away quickly. Go, we got to replace an AC unit. We've been saving up money. Well, that's, that's $6,000 gone, right? I've got to do some work. I recently found out we've got to do some work to level out our backyard because we started taking in water a little bit last night. Not too bad. But there's things we have to spend money on. That can go away quickly. People can go away quickly. Are you valuing people more than Christ? Because that can change suddenly. What do you value most? Let's think about that this week. And then let's think about in all of these different areas where you find yourself putting something above Christ, where you don't see Christ as supreme, how can I engage that? Because that's, nothing's wrong with Christ. Something's wrong here. So how can I correct that? How can I have a proper vision of who Christ is? 
there may be some things that behavior-wise you need to change. You may need accountability in certain areas. Trust that the Holy Spirit's going to reveal that to you as you pray about that this week and discuss that. And if you have not believed in the Son, I'm, I'm simply, I don't want to make this more than what it is. I'm going to put before you what God's Word says because I believe that God's Word is infallible, it is inerrant, and that when the, the Word of God is preached and spoken, that that is where new life is found. And this is what John says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe Whoever does not, and that is expressed in obedience. Whoever does not display belief, believe in the Son, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If you have not believed in the gospel, understand that God is gracious, and he is merciful, and he is patient. But he is also just. And if you have not trusted in him, Know that without belief in the Son, His wrath, His justice remains on you. The good news about Jesus Christ is that He paid that penalty on your behalf. If you would believe. 